It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Felix Frankfurter once said, It is a wise man who said that there is no greater inequality than the equal treatment of unequals. Well, you got to think about that one a little bit, don't you? <laughs> Good yeah. morning, everyone. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We happen to be caller-friendly. So let's get started with something to talk about. Jonathan, we're sitting here. We should have something to talk about. You're right. (laughs) Okay, so what is it? Well, Rick, our question is, did Jesus support wage discrimination? Now, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Who would think of a question like that, you know? (laughs) You would. (laughs) And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 20, verse 12. These last men have worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. Well, you know, we've heard many, 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 many times over, equal pay for equal work. When you hear that statement, you think, well, who wouldn't think that's a good idea? Uh, Who in their right mind would argue against such a thing? Did Jesus teach us a contrary lesson to this principle of equality? When we read the parable of the workers in the vineyard, it sure seems to be teaching that God cares more about playing favorites than about treating people equally. Now, is that really the lesson that Jesus is teaching here? Is that really what's happening? I want to answer right now. No, it's not. But <laughs> So what is the lesson? How does it work? What are we supposed to learn from this particular parable? Because this is a little bit of an unusual parable, the way, the way it, it, it lays itself out. And just to, to recap the parable very, very quickly before we start, it's a parable about workers that go to work in a vineyard. Some start really early in the morning, and then throughout the day, the owner of the vineyard brings more and more workers in. And at the end of the day, he pays them all exactly the same amount of money. And they all work different hours. Right. Some worked just one hour. Others worked through 11 or 12 hours of the, of the day, and they got exactly the same amount of money. What's Jesus telling us with that particular lesson? So to understand what the lesson is, we need to see why the lesson was needed. So let's go to the verses before the parable. Now, these verses that we're going to go to before the parable follow the story, the very kind of sad story of the rich young ruler. Remember, Jonathan, he was the young man that came up to Jesus and said, uh, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Sure. And as we know, Jesus teaches uh, things progressively. So we need to look back at the context. Well, where was he before he's now bringing out this parable? Right. Right. So... Jesus has this conversation with this rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler um, walks away sad because Jesus finally tells him. Cause the guy's a good guy. Yes, he had a great heart. Right, because it, it says in, in, in the Mark or Luke account, and Jesus loved him. So mm-hmm. Jesus saw the, the, the goodness of this young man, and you know, because he said, well, I'm, I know I'm still lacking something. And Jesus finally says, well, go sell all that you have and come and follow me. 
And then it says he went away grieved because he had so much wealth. So we're dropping in after the disciples heard Jesus say that to this young man. So let, let's start with Matthew nineteen twenty three to 30. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished and said, then who can be saved? So Jesus makes a very dramatic statement, surprise, surprise, <laughs> after this event. And he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's going to be so difficult for, for people who, who are, are wealthy to be able to, 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 to do what's necessary to enter the kingdom. So the disciples are dismayed because their social structure had taught them that a man who knew the law, and this rich young ruler really did know the law. Yes, he did. Okay. Followed the law, and this rich young ruler really did follow the law, and was wealthy, it would have meant that he would have been blessed. Because remember, in Israel, blessing came in basket and in store. Mm. In the Old Testament, it was about the land and the people and being blessed as human beings serving God. So it looked like it was God's favor shown exactly. to them. Exactly. Okay. And, and, and perhaps it was. So you see all of these things. And so the disciples are thinking, surely this guy who knows the law, who follows the law, who, who has much, who seems to have a wonderful character, surely he's fit for the kingdom. But that's not what Jesus said. So they're saying, you know, okay, they, well, who can be saved? What does Jesus say back to them? Again, Matthew chapter 19, now verses 26 to 27. And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? So Jesus sees their astonishment like, you know, and if I were to translate their astonishment, it's like, oh, we're doomed. <laughs> we have no chance. Yeah, if this guy can't be favored for the kingdom, then certainly we are just, we're completely out of the running. But Peter saw the ingredient, we've left all to follow him, though this man wasn't able to do that. Right, right. So he's saying, okay, so we have left our, whatever our little riches are, we've mm -hmm. left them behind. Yep. We're, hello, we're standing here with you, Jesus. So... That must be good for us, because you just said, exactly. with men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So it's like, okay, there's an open door, and we've left everything. So, wow, we must, we must be getting something. So, so Jesus gives them hope. But the reception of the hope has a little bit of a twinge of personal ego attached. Hey, what do we get? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> little selfishness in you there. you got to be really careful with that. And that's a great Christian lesson, just in general. When we have the idea of, hey, what do I get? We've really got to start to reconsider in terms of being a truly Christian. You know? So they're saying, wow, we're better than that rich guy who was so blessed. What are we going to get? So Jesus gives them a very honest and hope-filled answer. It's interesting because his initial response to that question, hey, what do we get? is actually giving him the answer. Okay, I'll, sh I'll tell you what, what you're going to get. So now Matthew 19, verses 28 to 30, or 28 to 29, sorry. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, 
that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit there upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left house or brother or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. So this is a really, I mean, this is an enormous answer. This is amazing what they're going to receive. And the the really amazing thing to me is Jesus answers them because yeah. he is so good at not answering the direct question but taking you know a long way around to, to teach a bigger lesson. He's going to teach the bigger lesson, but in a, in a slightly different way than he normally would. Now, he's talking to his truest followers. Okay, He's talking to his, the apostles, and there's perhaps others with the apostles there. Mm-hmm. But he says to them, look, if you follow me, once I am glorified, sitting on... You know, at, at the right hand of God, on, for on my throne, right, Jesus' throne. You, the twelve, will sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. It's like they're going to be princes or yes, something. Exactly. Wow. And yeah, that, and that is that's a big wow. And then he says, and everyone. So now, for not just the twelve, mm-hmm. but now everyone, all who have left everything behind, for my name's sake, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Well, think about eternal life from the Adamic death that they see and feel and watch. That's huge. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's even hard to comprehend. It is, it is. And not only eternal life, but they're going to, those true followers of Jesus are going to have that eternal life in heaven. Yeah. So this is beyond their, their ability to comprehend. So this answer uh, proves a really important principle of God's grace, that things can happen beyond our comprehension. And then Jesus says something that I think is oftentimes not understood or misunderstood. Matthew uh, chapter 19, verse 30. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So a lot of times we look at that and we think of being first or last as being like little kids in grammar school in a line. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to be first in line. Oh, you got to be last. (laughs) I don't think the first and last here has to do with an order like that. If we were to paraphrase verse 30, so this is, this is definitely a, a, a Rick paraphrase coming up, okay? Okay. And again, it's, it's based on the conversation with the rich young ruler and based on the reactions of the disciples afterwards and then Jesus teaching them afterwards. Those who were looked at as privileged and closer to God because of their physical blessings and their strong desire to follow God's Jewish law, those with the greatest Jewish, again, I keep focusing on Jewish because it was their time, their social structure. Mm -hmm. Those with the greatest Jewish social stature are not necessarily the ones who will receive the greatest blessing. That is reserved for those who simply follow me with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. So, this, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, is not about people getting in line. But it's about stature. Though, and, go ahead. And, and this really, Rick, t- for today's um, context, contradicts the prosperity gospel in in a such a dramatic fashion. It, it does. It, it, it really it helps you understand. This tells you what Christianity is supposed to be. Yes. All about now. Unfortunately, we have lost the true value of Christianity 
in in our 21st century world mm-hmm. in in many many cases not all cases but many many cases and you're right this is giving us a sense of just because someone looks good sounds good feels good doesn't mean they are good before god right the first are not necessarily those that we look up to are not necessarily the ones it's the ones with the humility and so forth that will be given the greatest honor and the greatest reward now having said this jesus i think sees a need to deflate the potential egos of his closest followers because he's just told them about this great reward and told them that, yes, even though you are not socially high up on on, on some rung, you are special. He's told them that. So now he's going to teach a parable to his followers. Now, the interesting thing, Jonathan, is Jesus normally reserves parables for the people, the, the average person. That's right, the crowds. This particular parable is not meant for the average person. It's meant for his closest followers. So this parable is a little bit different. So Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 and 2 is where we're going to, well, actually verse 1 here we're going to get started with. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So there's two main points here. The kingdom of heaven and, the, well, three. The kingdom of heaven, the vineyard, and the landowner. So when we look at the kingdom of heaven, when we hear that phrase, it can mean a lot of different things. What, what, what does it mean in this particular context? Uh, it means the development of the true church. Okay. And most of the time when Jesus spoke in parables, when he talked about the kingdom of heaven... That's what he was talking about, the development of the true church. Then he talks about the, the landowner, but he talks about the vineyard. So when you think about the landowner and the vineyard, another scripture comes to mind. Let's go to John fifteen one. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So the vineyard is a representation of the development of true Christianity. Yes. In the parable of the, vin- of the vine dresser. In John 15, it comes down to uh, God is the owner. The landowner. So the context of the development of the true church is like our father taking care of the vineyard. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, did Jesus support wage discrimination? Coming up, so how much does the vineyard owner pay? Is it above minimum wage or is it more? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Did Jesus Support Wage Discrimination? (laughs) Every time I read (laughs) that, that, it's hilarious. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And if you don't have your free app, go to your app store with your smartphone and type in Christian Questions Radio and get it and also message us so we can share your comments on it on air. Okay, so it's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. We spent the first segment really laying the groundwork for the parable because Jesus laid the groundwork for the parable. And the parable is a focused lesson on attitude. It's a focused lesson on stature not being an answer to the kingdom of God. 
That's right. And the context we talked about when we wrapped up the first segment was this is the development of the true church. Right. And we need to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. So we're, we're getting into this parable in, in the very first verse of the parable in Matthew chapter 20. It talks about the kingdom of heaven. Like you said, development of the true church is like a landowner, God, who went out to hire vineyard, uh, laborers for his vineyard, the vineyard being the, the work of the development of the church. But it says he went out early in the morning to hire laborers. So let's talk about that, early in the morning and then laborers. You know, in terms of early in the morning, parables, the thing said is not the thing meant. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. early in the morning, how would you look at that in terms of what does it mean? Well, Jesus was talking to those in front of him, and these are his disciples. Right. So he, I think he's talking to them. He's talking to them about the very earliest stages of the gospel. Right there, right then, with them. The beginning. They were the, they were the ones at the very beginning. So laborers would be those who would be working then. Mm-hmm. That he's talking to, following Jesus for the sake and uh, of, of spreading the gospel. They were the first ones hired. So the apostles' era was it. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's it. The Apostles' era, and let's even be more specific, the Apostles' era during the three-and-a-half-year physical earthly ministry of Jesus. Okay. That's okay. the early in the morning. All right. Matthew nine thirty-five to 38, just to give us a sense of the development of this story. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and um, dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. It was right then, and the next statement is Jesus saying that there's going to be more workers, don't worry. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Mm -hmm. the... Early in the morning is right then at their particular time in history. And that gives us a hint as how this parable is going to go. It does. Okay. And we'll, we'll develop that a little bit further. Let's go to a, a soundbite. This is a modern day telling of the story of the parable of the guys in the vineyard. Uh, it's, it was, we got this from YouTube, Annie Konigsmark parable of the vineyard workers now all the details aren't exactly in order and 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 so forth so it takes a little bit of of creative uh liberty here but it's kind of a fascinating story to hear these guys talking about uh the principles of the parable of the workers in the vineyard let's listen yeah i was on that build yesterday it was insane there were like four of us five including the guy that hired us but he wasn't doing any of the work yeah mr uh the Hollingsworth. Yeah, whatever. Mr. Crazy is more like it. I mean, four guys to build a house. Come on. Well, I was cool with it. What do you mean you were cool with it? Well, we've been out of work a while. I mean, you see, most of the time we just hang out by the hardware store hoping that somebody will come by and pick us up for work. Uh, some days, uh, nothing. Yeah. But yesterday, this Hollingsworth guy pulls up in a pickup truck and, and he says he's got work for four of us and he says he'll uh, give us three hundred dollars a day which is you know twice the going rate yeah so uh steve and uh, paulie and slim and i we were the first in the truck well actually alan was in before you you pulled him out hey i got a family to feed alan's on his own yo it's like steve and paulie and i you know we're the first <laughs> ones on the truck you know what i'm saying 
<laughs> I know what you're saying. <laughs> so they're they're giving you a depiction of the development of the story. We're going to revisit that uh, that depiction throughout the program, and it and it's kind of funny to listen to how they talk about it, sort of matter of factly. Yeah. yeah, you know, we're just we're, we're we're looking for work. We haven't had work, and this was a, it was an opportunity. So now let, let's go to verse two. Let's go back to the parable, verse two of Matthew chapter twenty. When he had agreed with the laborers for Denarius for the day. He sent them into his vineyard. So the landowner agrees to pay the laborers a denarius. So what does that mean? Well, Clark says it's a penny, a Roman coin, worth about seven pence, half penny, or seven pence, three farlings of our money, and equal to the Greek drachma. Like any of that makes any sense to me. (laughs) No, me either. (laughs) This appears to have been the ordinary price of a day's labor at the time. Now, that that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. (laughs) That makes sense. So it would be just the regular price for going to work for a day. And someone would be happy to receive that if they're out of work. It's fair. Yes. Okay. That's, that was, that's, I think, the, the point there. So the reward for the Christian working in the vineyard for the day of the gospel was a fair wage. So now let's take a look at what is the reward. Now, Jesus mentioned it to the disciples before, but let's just go to another scripture and just talk a little bit more about this reward of, of true Christianity. John 14, 1 and 2. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Now, you think about it. In the story, a common wage uh, is paid, uh, but it's representative of really a very uncommon reward. Because if you're talking about going to heaven, that's not something that happens every day. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, it's not the kind of thing that that was ever ever even opened to humanity before Jesus showed up. That's for sure. So it was it was really a very uncommon thing even though the wage is represented in terms of the 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 the, the common way of dealing with people in that society at that time. And and it gives us a sense of the inexhaustible grace of God. So in in a sense Jonathan things that are uncommon and highly honorable are just God's normal way of doing things. Mm. That's neat. That is neat. <laughs> and, and here these guys are like, what? Wow. Yeah. We get that? Right. <laughs> and, and Jesus told them that they get that. But now he's helping them understand that getting is really not what this is going to be all about. Folks, if you have a thought uh, about Jesus and wage discrimination, we'd love to hear you at 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. And that means we're on right now. And don't forget to go to our website at christianquestions.com and interact with us on our Facebook and you can tweet us at CQ Net Radio. Okay. So he gets the early morning laborers, he agrees with them for a denarius a day and they go to work. They've got a 12-hour day ahead of them. Mm-hmm. All right. He's sending them into the vineyard. Jesus prepared It's interesting. He prepared his disciples for their true ministry by sending them out while he was still with them. Yes, that's right. That's right. He gave two them... Two by two right, kind of thing? Right. Well, let's go to uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Now about this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them out of pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into his harvest. Go before I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. So, and that sounds weird. Again, is that a Christian thing? Greet no one on the way. <laughs> is it saying like walk with your head down and mumble to yourself so people ignore you? It sounds a lot like New England. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to say. <laughs> but again, greeting someone in those days was not just, hey, what's up? It was stopping having a, a lengthy conversation. Mm. So mm. he's saying you have to be focused. Okay. Gotcha. That's that's what that sounds was. better. It, <laughs> that's what it was really all about. So so again, another instance where he says the harvest is, is plentiful but the laborers are few. Mm-hmm. All right. It's giving us a sense of this story of the the laborers in the vineyard. So the story is telling us that early in the morning there were some who went to work. It it's pretty simple. So we have the apostles and we have seventy at least and there must be more. So, but again, it's a few. Yes, it is. Because Jesus had said several other times that the harvest is great and the laborers are few. So you've got this story developing where the first call to go to work, there's a few around. They have a long day ahead of them, so go get to it. Now, Jesus taught his disciples how to go preach the gospel by giving them opportunities to do so, even without him. So now let's continue with the story in Matthew 20, the story of the laborers in the vineyard. Uh, Let's go to verses 3 and 4. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. All right. So typically in those days, a day would start at six o'clock in the morning. Okay. Now that's the work day. Starting, not stretching and getting out of bed saying, oh, good morning world. (laughs) The actual work day where you're reporting to get started. You worked in those days for 12 hours. Yes. yes, All right. So it was six to six at sunset is when the day ended and everything closed down. So here he says he sent those first laborers out at, at, at 6 o'clock in the morning. He says now about the third hour he goes and he finds people standing in the marketplace. So now you say, all right, what's the symbolism of this? What does it actually mean? Perhaps this is signifying the gospel call to the Jewish nation. Jesus began with his apostles and disciples right then, those that were with him. Which were all Jewish. And then he built upon that foundation. So let's just take a little bit of a look at what the third hour actually means in other places and how we can understand this as a progression through the age of the gospel. That's what we think this day looks like, Jonathan. It's a progression through the age of the gospel. Well, the commentator Alfred said, the third hour, hour 9 a.m., and in summer was sometimes called the height of the market, when the market was fullest. Okay, so in the marketplace is where laborers would go if they hadn't been hired first thing in the morning. Right. So the third hour is those were standing idle. They didn't get called on at 6 a.m. Right. But here they are at 9 waiting. Right. So now there's an opportunity for them to go to work. And so you say, okay, in the parable, it's saying that there's a second call to to work in the vineyard. And the work in the vineyard is the work of the development and the witnessing of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Could that have a prophetic significance? And I think by the way the parable is spoken, the answer is yes, it can. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. And this is the day of Pentecost 
after Jesus uh, is, is resurrected, remember, he says, wait in Jerusalem for the next 10 days. And he ascended to and, heaven. And then he ascended, mm-hmm. and then 10 days later, Pentecost comes, right. and the Holy Spirit comes. So this is where we're dropping in, Acts chapter 2, verses 5 to 6. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So remember the sound that, that, that comes and the tongues of fire that come upon the apostles, this very dramatic scene. And this is a Jewish audience, but from all over the world. Right, right. So this is a strictly a Jewish audience. Okay. And they are seeing this really strange happening, and the apostles are now speaking in, in different languages that they would not normally have known. Okay. That's Pentecost. That's what's happening. The timing here, though, is what really jumps out and gets your attention. Acts chapter 2, let's skip down a few verses to verses 14 and 15. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. So, (laughs) that's kind of cool. That's 9 a.m. It is. It's 9 a.m. And it happens to be the exact same time that Jesus in this parable says, the next wave of workers is being called in. Wow. (laughs) I like that parallel. Now, you could say, well, there's a coincidence. I think not. (laughs) And that's exactly what my response would have been. You know, it's just, in Scripture, you don't have coincidence. You have God's overruling, you've got God's oversight, and you've got Jesus putting things in perspective so we can understand them in the, in the, in the much larger picture. So we had those initial workers. The uh, apostles. And any disciples. That followed right there at the beginning. Yep. With Jesus when Jesus was physically there. On the scene. Yep. Right. Jesus is crucified. Then he's raised. And then after 40 days, you know, he, he ascends up to heaven. Then 10 days later, the whole object, the whole presence of the gospel message is going to shift. Something different happens. And what happens is it is the, it is the incoming of the Holy Spirit and we see a whole different approach. So perhaps the third hour of the Vineyard Parable is focusing exactly on Pentecost. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Did Jesus Support Wage Discrimination? Coming up, why doesn't the vineyard owner tell the rest of the workers what they will be paid? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Did Jesus Support Wage Discrimination? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. And don't forget to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, at ChristianQuestions.com. It makes it fun to read along while you listen to the program on the archive with all the graphics and illustrations. It's really fun. 
fun. It is. And it, it, it helps to make the lesson just come alive. So Secret Rewind, the full edition, is a free service exclusively available at ChristianQuestions.com, or you can sign up actually through your app as well. Please do so. Lots and lots of people. We've gotten such great, great feedback on that uh, Secure Rewind, the full edition, as a tool. So, folks, give it a try if you haven't already. So, Jonathan, we're in this parable, and I think that there's, there's two aspects to this parable. There's the practical lesson that Jesus is teaching his truest followers and his, his apostles specifically and any disciples that are with them. And then there's a prophetic aspect. Well, Rick, this parable doesn't tell the disciples all the details, does it? No. As a matter of fact, you know, in... in when he called out these workers uh, in the um, in the third in the third hour, he said, "You know, go into the vineyard and, and whatever is right, I will pay you." Now we're going to get to that. So he doesn't get specific about telling them what their pay is going to be. Okay. And why does he do that? We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's go back to Pentecost, though, because the third hour I think really focuses on the event of Pentecost and what Pentecost actually represented. And the Apostle Peter tells us what Pentecost represents, and it fits exactly with this parable. Acts 2, 32-39. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Now the we is the early morning workers. Those he's saying we the, the people that you're looking at saying you guys are you guys drunk because you're able to you're speaking all these different languages he's saying we were witnesses those are the early morning workers therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he has poured forth this which you both see and hear for it was not David who ascended into heaven but he himself says. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain. That's the third hour call to work. That's the third hour call saying, go and witness to Jesus to who? The house of Israel. That's the first major stage of the call of the gospel. You have those first few, the early morning hour workers, and now you have the third hour workers, and that's their job, is to focus on Israel. And Pentecost would have sure been a a boost yeah. To, with seeing all the miracles going on, to to rush out and tell everyone right. in the Jewish family what's what's happened. And that was a jump start to the movement of Christianity within Judaism. Only within Judaism. Let's go back to our little story, Annie, Andy Konigsmark, the parable of the vineyard workers. Remember the guys are sitting there talking about, yeah, you know, it's me and Polly and Skip and Slim and <laughs> Jim. <laughs> And, you know, we, we go to work at this guy, and he gives us $300 a day. Hey, no, not so bad. You know what I'm saying? All right, let, let's go back and hear the story develop. Anyway, so we get to the site, and uh, can you believe it? There's just four of us. But, you know, $300 is $300, so we go to work. So we work all morning, just the four of us. And then about lunchtime, Hollingsworth pulls up with two more of the guys. Yeah, I guess he finally figured out four of us wasn't going to cut it. Yeah, so now there were six. 
Okay, so they're developing the story, and again, it's not exactly according to the parable, so let it go. <laughs> but it's, it's just giving you a sense, a, a real-life sense of what it would have felt like you know, if you were actually playing the part of one of those workers in the parable. So these other guys show up, and now there's more of us working on building this house in this story, and of course we're going back to the parable. So in verse 4, Matthew 20, verse 4, let's go back over verse 4, specifically the first part of it. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. All right, you also go into the vineyard. And um, now, uh, verses, uh, going back to um, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost again. Remember, let all the house of Israel know for certain. That's the third hour call to work. Let's go now to verses 37 uh, and 38 of Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost scene. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here you have, in, in the previous verse you had, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That was the third hour call to work. What you just read, Jonathan, is a third-hour response to go to work. Yeah. All right? What should we do? Accept the job. Right. Go for it. Right. Just go to work. And who were these ones that were called to go to work? They were all of the Jewish nation. And who were they supposed to go do the witnessing to? Just to the Jews. So they had their job. It was very specific. It was still vineyard work because it was all part of the calling of Christianity. The gospel. But it was just still limited at this point in time. So verse 39 of Acts chapter 2 gives us a hint of more work to be done later. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. You know, and I don't know that Peter really understood all of what he was saying at that moment, but it was a very powerful promise. The promise is for you and your children. Again, a very specific Jewish nation promise. But then he says, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. So as many who are far off implies uh, we don't know where others are going to come from. We just don't know. But if God wants to call them, they're going to be called. Yes. So it's giving you a little hint that as the gospel begins to unfold, there's going to be more and more things happening down the road. I think that's really what we're, what we're seeing uh, happen and develop here with when we look at the Pentecost event in relation to the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. So, Jonathan, why didn't... You asked this question at the end of the last segment. It was really a good question. Why didn't the vineyard owner tell the rest of the workers what they were going to be paid? Because in verse 4, the second half of verse 4, what does the vineyard owner... Let's try again, Rick. What does the vineyard owner say to them? And whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. So he doesn't say, oh, by the way, I'm going to give you a denarius. No, he didn't. He just says whatever is right. Now, what? the word for right means... Righteous, um, observing divine laws. Okay, so whatever is really upright, whatever is absolutely fair... Acceptable. I'll give you. Mm -hmm. And so these third-hour workers go to work, 
not knowing exactly what they're going to make, but just knowing that if I can trust the vineyard owner, owner then I'm going to make a day's wage mm-hmm. for the time I'm putting in, yep. what, whatever that might be. Right. All right. So the Jews responded to the call because Peter at Pentecost showed them that it was built upon the fulfillment of the law. Where the law is fulfilled, there is righteousness. Remember, this is a Jewish audience. And, if, and Peter, what he did at Pentecost was said, look, this is the law coming to fruition. What that would have translated to them would be, this is God's righteousness in person. Mm. That's, that's what we're seeing. So it would have made sense to them that this is a good thing. We don't know all the details, but because it's built on the, on the, on the fulfillment of the law, we don't need to know anymore. Nice. Because that's what righteousness was for them. Romans chapter 6, verses 16 uh, to 18. Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you are committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So this is interesting because it's not exactly the same word, the word righteousness, but it's very, very close. Okay, and, and, it, and it means the state of him uh, who is as he ought to be, righteousness, the condition uh, acceptable to God. So the Apostle Paul is saying, now this is much later obviously in, in the book of Romans, that when you are someone's slave, and remember in those days, they, the slavery was very, very, very rampant. It was everywhere. That's the way we didn't have a working class. You had people that were indentured servants in, in many cases. Mm-hmm. And you had day laborers. Day laborers were very, very common. That's why the, the parable of the vineyard made sense to the disciples because day labor was something that happened all the time. Yes. Okay, you, you got paid for that day and you, know, you went out and you, you did the work. But when you present your someone as slaves for obedience, you become slave to whatever they're telling you, you you're supposed to do. You become compliant to that person that you have now agreed to work for no matter what. The job they give you, you better do it. Right. And he's saying in, in this verse in Romans that being, be, thanks be to God, that if you decide, you have decided to be slaves of righteousness, it's to the righteousness of God, and therefore you have no worries. It's going to be hard work, and there's a lot of things to do, but it's not going to be in any way, shape, or form unfair. So God will pay you for your dedication with yes. righteousness. Yes, absolutely, positively, and that becomes important. So what we have so far in, in, in this parable are, are, are a lot of moving parts that are starting to, to fall into place. Now, before we sum up the moving parts, let's just go back to the, the original question. Did Jesus support wage discrimination? And, you know, I, I want to frame it in, in, in the context of that question at this point because we know, because we read ahead, <laughs> we know that the workers that get hired throughout the day are all going to get paid exactly the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. And you look at that and say, well, that's just not fair. And in our world, if that were to happen, there would be a ruckus. And I agree, there would be. But the point is, that's not the lesson that Jesus is teaching. Remember, the lesson started with the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And that wasn't being in order. That was about stature. 
That was about where you think somebody stands and how important you think they're supposed to be versus in God's eyes who are the most important by what they do by their attitude, by their humility. So when you say talk about Jesus and wage discrimination, if you're looking at this parable, and you know, a lot of people will, because people who don't want the Bible to be true, they're going to look at this and say, see, you know, God's really just plays favorites, and, uh, you know, just show up at the 11th hour and he'll, he'll pay you, you don't have to work. You know, 11 hours worth of work that you didn't have to do. And that's not the point, not even remotely close, not even remotely close. So the symbols of this, the early morning show us, now the early morning in, in the parable, show us that the apostles mm-hmm. and a few disciples are there first to be joined by many who were ripe to be called of the Jewish nation in that third hour. Right. So you start with very, very few. Jesus works hard with those very, very few in that first section of the gospel when Jesus is actually walking the earth. He's, he's with them all the time. He teaches them. He shows them. They watch him do his miracles. They watch him heal. And they get a real sense. They're there right from the very, very start. And they're passing that torch on right. to their brethren that want to follow. And it's through them that the torch gets passed on. Yes. Because they are given the Holy Spirit first, and through them it passes on. So it's a beautiful lesson. Remember the lesson of status given before this parable and the human propensity to seek status among your peers. Oh, but ego gets in the way. It does. And that's the reason for the parable, is because Jesus would not allow ego to dominate the true church. The true church. The true church. No ego allowed in the true church. Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Because Jesus was teaching them, you have to be willing to become humble. Just like Jesus did. I mean, coming from heaven to earth, there's a great step of humility. Oh, yeah. So with this pattern of the early morning established, we can now look for more of the same type of pattern as the day of the gospel will unfold. And in the parable, the day unfolds and more workers are called in. And what we'll see in the second hour is how those workers called in at the next section of hours actually represent further development in the gospel. And then at the end, we're going to see Jesus getting back to the practical lesson of the story of telling his disciples, watch out for what you say, do, and think. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, we will be back after the news and all of that to finish up the story. Very fascinating lessons for us that Jesus has. All we have to do is look at them and read them. So stay with us throughout the news and all that. But till then, did Jesus support wage discrimination? We'll be back soon. Think about it. The Now in today's Christian Talk Radio. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. This is our second hour. That was strange, but hey, when things are strange, we get excited. (laughs) Keeps us on our toes. I'm Rick. Uh, This is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from an entirely different perspective. And this morning, Jonathan, our subject matter is a little different. It's, it's It's a very practical question and a very mysterious parable. And Rick, that question is, did Jesus support wage discrimination? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 20, verse 12. These last men have worked only one hour, 
and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. Okay, so that's the parable. And, you know, I didn't do, do the quote. There's an interesting quote by Albert Einstein to, to get this uh, second hour started. He says, in matters of truth and justice, there is no difference between large and small problems. For issues concerning the treatment of people are all the same. And I, and I really appreciate that because in matters of truth and justice, there is there should be one way of doing things. Yes. It doesn't – and that's part of the main lesson of this particular parable of the workers in the vineyard. Remember the parable? Uh, first of all, th- there there's several items here uh, to catch up on. Jesus is speaking this parable for a specific reason, right? He is. Well, and what, what, what is it that he's referring back to? Uh, the lesson of status, Rick. And it was a lesson of status because the rich young ruler, Jesus had just had a conversation with him, and this young man who was very righteous and just and honest and a good man. And wealthy. And wealthy, uh, walks away sad because Jesus finally tells him when the, he, the young man says to him, well, I'm still lacking something, Jesus says, well, sell all that you have and follow me. And the man walks away sad, and then the, 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 the disciples respond, well, well, okay, who can make it then? If this guy, who, has, who knows the law, who follows the law, who's been blessed, isn't going to make it into the kingdom, then you know, what good is anything? Yeah, we have no chance then. Right, and so Jesus says to them, with God all things are possible. Then they say, oh, cool, what do we get? And Jesus tells them what the reward's going to look like. And then he sees the idea that they have a little bit too much ego going for them. They have a little bit too much status in their own eyes of, hey, we're the ones with Jesus. Surely we're going to be really, really rewarded. Mm -hmm. So he tells them this parable about the vineyard and the vineyard owner and the workers. So, So we've got all of these different pieces, Jonathan. Who are they? What do they represent? Well, God is the owner. Okay. And uh, the vineyard um, basically is the gospel. Right. The work of the the spreading spreading of the gospel. Yep. And the laborers are those that um, sacrifice and give up their will to do God's will and follow in Jesus' footsteps. And then you've got fair pay, Mm -hmm. okay, which was a denarius. It was a a day's legitimate pay. And then you had workers in the first hour. We talked about workers who were there in the very early morning. Like at 6 a.m. And who would they have been? The apostles and the the few disciples before Jesus um, was crucified. Okay, with him, walking with him every day. Yes. Then you have workers called in the third hour. What would that have represented? And that represented after Pentecost, when all of the miracles of the Holy Spirit took place in front of all the Jews, that was the opening the door to the Jewish nation to, to follow in the gospel call. So it was still to the Jewish nation, but it was on a much broader scale than yes. it ever had been before, and the Holy Spirit's introduced and all of that. Yep. So the parable is developing the age of the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's starting at the very, 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 very incipient parts. We're right at the at the earliest stages with the disciples, then to Pentecost. And now we'll go back to the parable in Matthew chapter 20, verse 5. What happens in, in verse 5? Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same. Okay, so now it's a, it's, it's a lot of things happening in just one sentence. He went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same. And that is, he offered, uh, well, well, it's the same thing. God calls to work in the vineyard of the gospel and offered what's right. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't tell the, sixth, the wage, right? Doesn't tell the right. sixth hour workers and the ninth hour workers exactly how much. He says, "Look, I'll pay you what's fair." Mm-hmm. And what's right really is justification. It's gospel age, heavenly reward is payment to anyone who would heed the call. 
it doesn't get better than that. Yeah, that's really a, quite a high wage. You know, in the parable, it's just a, a fair wage. Yeah. But this is better than fair, I'm oh, telling yeah, you. For okay? sure. So the sixth and the ninth, ninth hours, perhaps the call of the gospel spreading on to the Gentiles in two distinct steps. Ooh, this is interesting. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it does. It gets, it gets very interesting here because I think Jesus is explaining the gospel work is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. You don't even know that yet. And again, that's another lesson, another reason he's teaching them, don't be so full of yourselves. Mm-hmm, that ego. Right. You have, to be, you have to be very, very uh, uh, low-key in terms of your own perception of yourself. Well, Rick, let's go to the phones. We have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Good you. morning. Uh, of course, the answer to your question, no, Jesus would not uh, support job discrimination. Well, good. We heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Years ago, I was attending a uh, lecture, and the speaker, uh, well-known and uh, very uh, talented and uh, skillful, yeah, the first question he asked about uh, his uh, topics is, uh, I says, I'm going to speak about parables. Which you think is the most difficult parable in the Bible to explain? And I, uh, I, I took a lucky uh, shot, you know, I, I was lucky. I, I said, the, uh, the 11th hour or, you know, the parable you're talking about, in his opinion, was the most difficult. Hmm. And that was his topic. Oh, okay. Yeah, so anyway, uh, yeah, uh, Interesting uh, uh, focus. I, I, I like your, your focus on humility. And I have uh, uh, an illustration to share with you quickly here. Uh, there was a construction site, and uh, the people were working, and the uh, someone was surveying the workers uh, on attitude and so forth. And uh, he came uh, to the first worker on the site, this huge project. He says, sir. Number one, what are you doing? He says, oh, he says, I'm putting my eight hours in for the day. The second, number two, says, sir, what are you doing? Well, he says, I'm, I'm making money to pay my mortgage. Number three, sir, what are you doing? I am helping to build a temple. That's the attitude. That's the focus. God bless. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call. Well, bye-bye. Yeah, you know, and that, that really does sort of exemplify part of what Jesus is teaching here. That attitude of, look, this is about something so much bigger than you are. That's what he was telling his disciples. So, Julius, thanks for that illustration. Really, really very fitting for this. So, so Jonathan, let's get back to now the sixth hour and the ninth hour. The sixth hour, I think, perhaps represents the door opening to Gentiles. Now, this would have been very different. This would have been very new. And, of course, we know that that door opened in a very unique fashion with the Apostle Peter. Let's go to Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. All right, so he goes up, and the thing that strikes you right there is he's praying at the sixth hour. Isn't that interesting? Now, is that a coincidence? I think not. Okay, let's continue. (laughs) But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures and of the earth and birds and of the air. And a voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again a voice came to him a second time, When God, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. So the sixth hour shows a monumental change, because now there were no people who would be excluded from God's favor with the call of the gospel. That's because Cornelius is a Gentile. Right, and this vision was so Peter could go talk to Cornelius. But the vision is, at the sixth hour, gets your attention because it's opening a new door. And Peter is being told, no longer is there a limitation in this, in, this, in this place, in this manner. So Cornelius would be the confirmation of this newly opened sixth hour door, which would lead to the next phase of the call to work in the vineyard of the gospel, which would be the ninth hour. So you've got the sixth hour that opens this door in a dramatic fashion. Now, I just want to, want to, to, to state that you know, as we're going through this parable and the prophetic part and Jesus unfolding the, the, the gospel age, mm-hmm. it doesn't... It's not dividing the age of the gospel. The age of the gospel has been 2,000 years. Right. It's right. not dividing it into equal parts or anything like that. It's showing you the development of the gospel and how it changes throughout the age. Sometimes changes happen very quickly, mm-hmm. and then sometimes things go for a long time right. with no change at all. Okay. You have the first few workers, it very quickly changed to the, 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 the Jewish nation being available. That's right. Three and a half years to the, a door opening up. To, then to the Gentiles. Yes. So you have these things happening very quickly, and they don't depict, you know, okay, you've got to go one-third third through the 2,000 years of the gospel age. That's not the way to look at this. It's showing you events, not timing, but events. So now the ninth hour. You know, the sixth hour represents the opening of the door, symbolized by Cornelius. The ninth hour represented the gospel spreading far and wide, as a result of the call of the Gentiles, spreading throughout the world. Cornelius still plays a part in this, in the representation. Let's go to Acts chapter 10, verses 30 to 35. Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. During which hour? The ninth. Okay. Another phase. Let's see what happens now. Let's follow the story. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. See, now that's the sixth hour confirmation. So I sent for you immediately and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, We are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Opening his mouth, Peter said, Now pay, pay, pay close attention to this. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. See, in every nation, Cornelius was in Israel. That's right. Okay, so, but... Peter sees it that it's even bigger than just Israel. So the ninth hour is showing us in every nation, in every nation, this call is going to be available. So the ninth hour introduction here is men of every nation can now know, now go to work in the vineyard. Peter recognizes the magnitude of the gospel call being opened to the entire world. This is enormous. This changed everything for him. Again. Yeah. Again, so you have all of these big changes. Pentecost changed everything. Mm-hmm. The vision that Peter had changed everything. Yes. The proclamation that Peter makes 
changes everything. Mm-hmm. You notice Peter is the is the linchpin in every single part of this. He's the one who says to Jesus at the beginning, "So what do we get?" <laughs> yeah. Okay, and Peter is is present in every one of these dramatic changes. The opportunity for the gospel to go worldwide had already been put in place. It just needed permission to spread outside of Judaism. And, uh, you know, you see the opportunity for the gospel being put in place uh, with the apostle Paul before he was Paul. Acts chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. So... Uh, Saul does that beforehand, and then Peter's vision gives these people who are now positioned to spread the gospel much more to work with. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's really kind of cool. Is, that is. Jonathan, let's just take just a half a minute, go back to our story of the parables, uh, parable of the vineyard workers from Andy Coningsmark. Remember the guys sitting around telling you the story of working on building the house? Now there were six guys. Yep. Okay, let's continue. Yeah. Then about three o'clock, he pulls up and two more of the guys get out. So that's the whole gang. Uh, except Alan. Well, yeah, except then about five minutes to quitting time. It was half an hour. Whatever. The truck pulls up once more, and Alan steps out. And he works for like five minutes. Half an hour. Whatever. So I don't understand the problem. Well, the problem comes when we go to get paid. What happened? Yeah, what happened? Well, we'll have to come back for that and, and see. But, you know, they're telling the story and they're giving you a sense of what it would feel like to be the guys who were there right from the start. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we know what's going to happen. So this is a parable that gives us an awful lot to think about. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, did Jesus support wage discrimination? Coming up, next comes the 11th hour. It is not an hour Is it not an hour of prayer? So what does it mean? You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, did Jesus support wage discrimination? No, he did not. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And we're now doing Instagram. You know, Jonathan, Jesus did not support wage discrimination. He supported humility. He supported not having expectations based on earthly status. That's what he supported. That's what this parable is really about. It's about not having an expectation. Again, the story of the rich young ruler, the account of the rich young ruler before this parable was spoken, sets this parable up. And there was a man who had great earthly status, and rightfully so. But he wasn't ripe for the kingdom. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, just because you're ripe and he's not, doesn't mean you're so good. Get rid of ego. You, that's right. It means you have to realize that you don't want that earthly status to attach to you in relation to a heavenly call. Nice. That's what nice. you're watching out for here. So now as the parable develops, the gospel age is continuing. We've had the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, and the expanding of the gospel age. And now in verses 6 and 7 of Matthew 20. Now, now, Rick, before that, okay. the 11th hour, it is not an hour of prayer? No. 
All right, so what does it mean? All right, well, let's read verses 6 and 7. In the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. So, about the eleventh hour. There is no hour of prayer at the eleventh hour to reference. Here is only the illustration of the very last call to the work of the gospel, which would seem to be at the very end of the age of the gospel. Okay. So you look at the 11th hour and say, okay, it looks like it represents the winding up of the gospel work. But there's still work to do. There's still a lot of work to do. And that's the key. It's not just like, okay, you're there to just mop up around the edges. You've got to go work hard. That's what really this is, this is about. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he would be born blind. Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So what Jesus says there, that little hint at the end is, Look, as long as the day of the gospel is intact... There's a lot of work to be done, and it's hard work, and we have to do the work of God during that day. So Jesus is illustrating that even at the very end of the gospel age, there would be those called in to go to work. But what this is implying is that there's going to be a day when that stops. There's a cutoff. Right. Okay. Right. Because the night is coming when no man can work. And, of course, after sundown in uh, in, in in the Jewish set up in, in, in Jewish society, you stopped working. So at sundown, you not only stopped working, but you got paid. You got paid for the day's work that you just did. There was no deferring of pays, no, no get, getting paid a week later. It was you work the day, you get paid for the day. You work the day, you get paid for the day. But the key thing here, Jonathan, is there's one hour left, and, the, and God calls more into the vineyard to work right at the very end. Now, when you look at that, you say, well, see, you're setting it up for the wage discrimination thing. It's not about the time. It's about the principle of status and stature. That's what it's about. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. The idea, though, of having only one hour left, let's go to Matthew 26, verses 40 to 41. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So, you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you will not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So who did he say that to? Peter. Now, again, Peter runs through this whole story because Peter is the one who speaks. He's the spokesman for the the apostles. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, before the parable, Peter's the one who spoke up and said, Hey, okay, what do we get? Yeah. All right? So, so Jesus tells the parable, but in the parable... Each step of the way, Peter factors into it because he's one of the twelve at the, there at the very beginning. In the third hour, Peter's the spokesman at Pentecost. Mm-hmm. In the sixth hour, Peter's the one who receives the vision. In the ninth hour, Peter's the one who proclaims to Cornelius that the gospel is now going to go throughout the entire world. That's right. And the eleventh hour, the warning that there's just one hour left, Peter, in Jesus' real human existence for that that three and a half years of of ministry at the very end says you couldn't watch with me peter for one hour Mm, that is amazing and so so peter is a tool now look jesus 
is the cornerstone of the church. He is the rock. He is the rock. Unequivocally, Peter was used as a spokesman for that rock. He was a pebble. Yes. And literally, Peter does mean a pebble versus the rock. That's a different story, but important lesson. So, one hour left. And so, so let's go back to uh, verses 6 and 7 of Matthew 20. Because, okay, the 11th hour is not an hour of prayer, but it's, it's the last call to go to work. Why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So there's a necessity for workers to always be entering the vineyard work. The 11th hour workers were really recipients of grace here, obviously, being given a chance at an opportunity that was almost over. But the amount of work that they had to do was no less, no different than the work of the other workers in the vineyard. And, and you know, Jonathan, we are represented in that 11th hour. Everyone living today that's yes, following in Jesus' because footsteps. because this is the end of the age of the gospel. Mm-hmm. We are recipients not only of the opportunity to go to work, but we're recipients of the incredible amount of of work that has been done before us. Let's go to Romans 10, verses 12 to 15. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay. Oh, uh, um, yes. So, there, what, what, what it's being said in Romans is, look, the, the gospel has progressed to a point that you've got to call on the name of the Lord and, and you can actually be blessed. You can be given things. You're given a, an opportunity that is beyond anything you've ever seen. But how do you get to that opportunity? Well, let's finish those verses. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of great things. See, Jonathan, we would be totally lost here at the 11th hour if it weren't for the work of those working in the vineyard throughout that whole gospel age. You're right. Absolutely right. There would be nothing for us to look at, nothing for us to attach ourselves to, nothing for us to sacrifice for, but they did the work. And we get to ride piggyback on their efforts. Doesn't mean we don't work. Doesn't mean we don't work hard. But it means that we are in a really special place of blessing. Well, think about the increase of knowledge Mm -hmm. and how we have everything at our fingertips. How much more work can we do in this one hour because of that? Yeah, and and, you know, that's, that's, that's an incredibly important point because us sitting here is an exact... Uh, um, um, representation of that, you know, in in preparation for doing the the program every week, there, there's you know there's a lot of study and, and and work that goes into that, but because we have the technology to have Bible translations right in front of you, to have a hundred different commentaries at a click of a button, to have uh, um, word definitions and all of these things, and and all of these things to be able to be put together, to be able to look into history just by googling something. Yeah, you can uh, amass a massive amount of information in a much much shorter time. We can prepare for this in a week where, without the technology, it would have taken a month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sure. So now 
does that mean I'm working or you're working or any of us is working any harder than anybody else? No. Does it mean we're not working as hard as anybody else? No. It just means that we're working hard with the opportunity that happens to be in front of us. That's the lesson of the parable. That's the big lesson. And Rick, the scripture said the feet of those who bring the good news. The feet. What what, what does that really mean? You know, when you think about the... the um, the, the picture of the body of Christ. You've got Jesus as the head. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the body. The feet are furthest away from Jesus, but they're still part of the body. Right. They're the, when we look at the feet members, it's the last members of those who are able to be called chosen and faithful. So how beautiful are the feet of him who brings the good news of good things? I think that's referring exactly to the end of the age of the gospel, which is what Jesus is telling us. Got a message on the app, a question, and it's a good question. What about Christian preachers who say the more stuff we have is proof of how God is blessing you? Um, Let's be frank on this one. They're wrong. Okay? That's not the gospel. Nowhere does Jesus hint to us about that. As a matter of fact, this very parable is telling us exactly the opposite. Remember, the rich young ruler wasn't told by Jesus, hey, let's take those riches and let's bring them along so we can have the church be stronger and wealthier so it can do more things. Jesus said, I don't want anything to do with your wealth. Give it away, take up your cross and follow me. So very different perspective on that. And, you know, this, the idea of having stuff, uh, what you're doing with that is you're mixing ages. You're looking at the physical blessing of the Jewish nation and trying to apply it to Christianity. That's not what Christianity is about. So uh, thanks for that question. Very important question here. Let, let's go back to um, the um, uh, YouTube uh, story, Annie Coningsmark, the parable of the vineyard workers. Remember, you know, now they're talking about getting paid and they say, well, what's the problem? Well, let's hear what the problem is. What happened is Big Steve and, and Paulie and Slim and I, we got... He didn't give you the $300 he promised? Yeah, he did. He gave me my 300 He gave Steve and Paulie and Slim 300 But then he paid the guys who came in at noon. And he gives them three bills, too. I mean, they didn't work all morning. They got the same pay as us. But it gets worse. The guys that came in at 3 o'clock, they got the same. Can you believe that? Now, here's the real kick in the stomach. Alan, Alan, who walks in at like two minutes to closing and hammers in like two nails, he gets paid the same $300. Man, that frosted me. So you have, you have that idea that, hey, we were here, we deserved more than they got. All right? Mm-hmm. That's the, this is the attitude. Is that the ego? Yes. That's the, this is the attitude that Jesus is speaking the parable about, saying, you watch out for this, because you think you've got status. You think you've got stature. But the only status and stature belongs to God himself. That's really where this parable is going. So, so we, we've seen the call of the gospel go throughout the whole gospel age, right down to the 11th hour, where now you're at the very, very, very end of the gospel age, but there's still work to be done. There's still people being called into the vineyard. And again, the lesson of the gospel is not, oh, they're only there for an hour. The lesson of the gospel is they're there under different circumstances. Yes. Now, that's what it says, they're there for an hour. I understand that, but remember, in a parable, the thing said is not the thing meant. So it's not about, the, the, the lesson is bigger than, oh, how come we got paid the same? It's about the attitude 
behind the, oh, how come we got paid the same? Mm, mm, that, that's where like we're getting that. to. So now the parable changes a little bit. It's no longer going to be a, pro- a prophetic process. Now, in verses 8 and 9 of the parable, it's now a pointed question to the apostles, putting them in the same light as the rich young ruler with his status, his privilege, and then his sorrow. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And Jesus sets up the parable so that the people who only worked one hour got paid in front of everyone else. Everyone else. Mm. It's like there's the last ones in and the first ones out. It's like what? You know, look at those guys in the story. Ah, yeah, this is the kick in the stomach over here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're, they're, and, and you can see that natural feeling of what's up with this? That's not fair, right? Uh, this shouldn't be happening like this, and and. And, and the consternation that builds. And Jesus is, is, is focusing us on something so much bigger. You know, the, the workers here are only identified by group. Reinforcing the lesson of God's grace bestowed upon all who would receive the call of Christ. You have the apostles, the called out Jews, the opportunity for the Gentiles, then the worldwide harvesting of the Gentiles, and then those who'd be working at the very end of the Gospel Age. You put that all together, you have the sum total of the work of the Gospel Age. Right. Jesus in the parable is not, this is not a prophetic utterance about the, the, the being paid. This is a, are you going to fall into the same category that the rich young ruler fell into? Ooh. That's what this is. This is a question of practical application, and I can tell you that as, as in my imagination, I don't know this for sure, but I see Jesus, he's getting to this point of the parable, and he's looking Peter right in the eye, <laughs> and he's looking at the rest of the, the, the apostles, and he's coming back to Peter, and he's saying, when those who were hired at the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius, and I can just see him just looking right through Peter, and Peter's going, what? Wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. What's going on here? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Did Jesus Support Wage Discrimination? Coming up, it's been a long day and it's time to get paid. Everyone should be happy, right? Yeah. That's next. Should be. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Did Jesus Support Wage Discrimination? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866 866- 985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And if you'd like to write to us, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. So, Jonathan, we are getting now to the end of the story. And just at the end of the last segment, 
the la- the the eleventh hour workers who get get paid a denarius right in front of everybody else, and you can see how people's minds would be working. We've been listening to that story, the YouTube story about the the working of the human mind, and it's true. Because now in verses 10 and 11 of Matthew 20, Jesus is reflecting that same, exact same kind of thinking. Well, these 11th hour workers got paid a denarius. How does Jesus represent the rest of the workers now? When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. So he, he, he sets it up. This is not a prophetic part of the story. This is the practical application looking at his own apostles saying, is this going to be your attitude? Just because you've been here with me longest, you think you're, you're, you think you're extra, extra special? He's saying, don't go down that road. They are, th- this is the Pharisees' thinking. That's what this is. Pharisaical thinking. They're thinking like Pharisees. Pride of position. We are the ones, the spiritual mm. uh, you know, administrators of the law. Therefore, you should listen to us. Only. Only. Right, <laughs> right. It's that pride of position. It's that I'm really important attitude. That's not what Jesus was teaching them. Matter of fact, just let's take a quick look at the Pharisees' reaction to other things. Luke 15, 2. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Like, how could God work through somebody who does that? That kind of thinking is a poison. The apostles had to be made aware of the trap of that kind of thinking so they would not fall into it. They themselves, the apostles, were now in the same position as the rich young ruler way back before the beginning of the story. The apostles had every advantage. The apostles knew Jesus personally. The apostles were there right from the start. Their personal egos expected recognition. Jesus is teaching them with this parable. It's a trap. Don't go there. That's not what this call is about. Verses 13 and 14 in Matthew 20. But he answered them and said to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. It is not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own. So is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own? Where is the law that says I can't do what I would like to do as a landowner? As God. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> all, you know, right. And, all right. Now all that, right. that kind of settles it there, okay. doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> okay. And, and so... so In the parable now, this is the practical application. This is the jarring lesson that is being brought to his his apostles, specifically Peter as the spokesman, and saying to them, look, didn't we come to an agreement before the, the day of work started? And you said to me, a denarius, thank you, I'll work for that all day long. You told me you were willing to work for that. The day is over. I'm paying you what you and I agreed upon. So it's showing a, a, a sense of justice, and it's showing a sense of mercy as well. And the attitude should be humility. The attitude should be, thank you. Yeah. I agreed to, to work for this. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But the attitude wasn't. 
And that's why Jesus had to teach this particular story. Folks, if you have a thought now, it would absolutely be the time, 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. Okay, an example of this God deciding what's going to happen. You know, and that sounds so foolish when we sit here. Well, you know, if, if God wants to decide, are we going to argue? That's really what it comes down You're to. You're right. <laughs> Romans nine twenty to 21. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why do you not make us like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? So God can do what he wants. <laughs> That's really the bottom line there. Now, the apostles and the most early Christian church did have to go through a kind of heat that those of us at the end of the age do not, for the most part. You see, they only knew that the kingdom would come. They Look, they didn't even have the gospel written down. You're right, they didn't. All they had at the very beginning was the law and the prophets and the words and experiences of Jesus himself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they had the Holy Spirit guiding them, but they didn't have nearly as much to hold on to as we do. But what they went through. Right. Whoa. They went through incredible difficulty for the sake of something that, that, that we take really for granted, I think, in, right. in, in many ways. Okay? Th- they were not privy to the times and the seasons in the same way that we here at the end are. Because, see, what we can do, Jonathan, is we can look back and, and, and trace prophecies being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, sitting here at the very end of the Gospel Age, can look back and say, wow, look at how Israel was restored back to their land, just like the prophecy said. They didn't have any sense of that. The kind of prophetic things that we can lean on, they didn't have. But their faith was rock solid in spite of not having those things. Their trials were far more, for the most part, physical, and their persecution was of a very outward manifestation. They did bear the heat of the day. Oh, they did. You know, when you think of Saul of Tarsus Mm. and the persecution that he did, even before he became a Christian, I mean, he... Christianity was on the run. That's right. They were thrown to the lions. And they stood up for it, and they held firm for it, and they were principled. And Jesus is telling them, now this is before he's, he dies, obviously, when he's speaking this parable, and he's telling them that your attitude has to adjust. You need to realize the humility of what I'm requiring of you. You need to realize I am going to require a lot from you. You will be rewarded accordingly. But I'm going to require a lot from you. And, uh, you know, and just one more quick point here. You think about it, the stoning of Stephen, for instance. Oh, yeah. I mean, Stephen was only a dedicated Christian for, what, months? Very short time. Very, very short time. And you can look at that and say, here's an example. You have the Apostle John, who lived into his 90s, mm-hmm. who went through all kinds of things. He dies in prison. Yep. And Stephen gets to be faithful after a few months. Is that fair? Well, are you going to judge God? we have to be able to see things for what God is contracted with us in terms of our following Jesus. No more, no less. 
that's really how we how we got to look at this thing. So the next the next phrase in this Jonathan in this in this parable in the explanation in the in the core point of what Jesus is teaching is so important. Or is your eye envious because I am generous? Okay, you know, can I can't I do what I wish with my own? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? God is a generous God. Romans nine fourteen to sixteen. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. That's what Jesus is teaching them in this parable. You know, could we be the subject of this parable as well? I mean, we keep saying, you know, he's looking at the apostle Peter, he's looking at the apostles. But could we be looking upon ourselves as more blessed and more deserving than others? You know, we 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 shouldn't be. But we have all of this. All we, you know, the the, the prosperity gospel is all about getting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We though we have spiritual abundance here and now. We really, really do. And it can be easy for us to say, well, because we're so spiritually abundant, you know, we've got to be playing a pretty special role here. No, not so much. The role that we play is the role that we're called to play. It is a contract. God calls, we answer, we follow Jesus' footsteps, we get rewarded if we follow to the end. Mm-hmm. It's really that simple. That's right. And that's the lesson. It's not about stature. It's mm-hmm. not about other people looking and saying, whoa, look at them. It's about, oh, have I done what I have contracted my life to do? Let's go back to um, the final uh, step in the parable of the vineyard workers by Andy Coningsmark, you know, how they conclude the story. Who did he think he was? I worked all day. I mean, those guys put only in a fraction of that time. Uh, ain't he ever heard of a fair day's wage for a fair day's work? What did Mr. Hollingsworth say to that? He said, what did I care what he paid the other guys? He said I'd agree to work for the entire day for $300. You told me earlier that was double the going wage. You should have been very happy with that. Well, we were until all the other guys got paid the same. I mean, hardly seems fair, right? Yeah, we were there long before they were. Hey, but you know what the guy says to me? He says, what do you care if I want to be generous to your friends? It's my money. I can do with it what I want. Can you believe that? Can you believe that guy? Unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. Amazing, actually. Amazing, and it is amazing. Mm-hmm. The generosity and the mercy is what we should be focusing on. So, in this parable, if we find ourselves falling into the "yeah, that's not fair" category, what we've done is we fall into the rich young ruler's problem of being too tied up in what we think we we are we're worth, rather than God's grace is just amazing. So, verse sixteen wraps this up. So the last shall be first and the first last. Now these are the last words that he spoke before the parable, referring back to the rich young ruler and his status, and they're the last words he speaks after the parable. So the proclaiming of the gospel is what is focused on in this vineyard parable through the entire day of the gospel age. When it comes to receiving the reward, those who have had to bear the heat of the day, those who had the most stature, will in fact receive their just reward. You look at what Jesus told the apostles before the parable. But not above those who labored under seemingly less strenuous conditions. 
And again, it's a lesson of stature. We shouldn't be looking at somebody else saying, oh, they're not working as hard as me. You know, who do you think you are? <laughs> they, 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 they honor God, not you. You're not their judge. Thank God for that. Okay? <laughs> all were called. All labored. There's only one call to only one body of Christ. Work with the body and be appreciative for it. Well, and really, that is, that is the lesson. I mean, when he says, so the last shall be first and the first shall be last. In other words, don't be like that rich young ruler who ended up sorrowful. Mm. So at the end of the parable, Jesus is giving them a hypothetical. You're not going to respond after all of this work of the gospel like this, are you? It's a hypothetical to say to them, look at where your thinking can bring you. Look at the danger of ego. Look at the, the, the way all of these things can come crumbling down around you if you don't focus on the things that are most important. So, Jonathan, a final lesson here. What, I mean, the, the core, bottom line, final lesson. No pressure. <laughs> God's grace recognizes no position. It only blesses those who align themselves with it. So this is a lesson of God's grace. And it's a lesson to, it was a lesson to the apostles to say, just because you're the apostles, just because you are the twelve who were chosen by name, doesn't mean you're better than all the others chosen down through the gospel age. It simply means you were called to a different position, incidentally, by God's grace. I didn't call you because you're stronger than the others, you're smarter than the others, you're faster than the others, you're more disciplined than the others. I called you for your heart. God supplies the rest. Don't even think about trying to judge others against yourself because you've done thus and you've done so and you're so good and you've been there longer. Put it all in, in, in the perspective of God's grace is to me just as much as it is to that 11th hour worker. Thank God that he is gracious to that 11th hour worker because he was gracious to me as well. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We certainly have enjoyed being with you. Jesus doesn't support wage discrimination. He supports the grace of God. Let it be said. For Jonathan Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week. But until then, realize the importance of humility and God's grace. Live it. Until next week, think about it.